0: hello everybody welcome to the show the eternal students i am dan clark and as always i'm joined by
1: my co-host sean keating Welcome back to the show. We had a great show last week with Lindsay Dipburner. Had a lot of great feedback, and we need to do a quick edit on that as she was not our first female guest, but was in fact our second. How soon we are to forget. Um, our apologies to Dr. Sindra Kampoff. And it was,
0: a, I don't know how we could have forgot that one. I don't know a, either because she was she's like one.
1: one of the greatest episodes we've ever had. Um, so, Lindsay You're number two on the show, but you're number one in our hearts. Um, But yeah, a lot of great feedback. Really hope you listen to that. She gives a unique perspective um, growing up, being that kind of type A student who's now navigated her way to get along with everybody and just kind of make her way in a career. So check that out if you haven't. Um, As we end or point, you can kind of see on the horizon – the end of the school year coming and, um, makes us reflect quite a bit as we like to do on the show. And as we get towards that end, um, makes you think of everything we've gone through this school year. And, um, really it's a, it's a celebration in itself when we get to that, that finish line and graduation and, um, this group of seniors and the class of 2021 gets to move on. And, um, something that has really touched, um, I guess I'd say just touched my heart in the last week and has been this um, topic of anxiety in general. And that's what we're going to dive into today is talking about anxiety and what we've seen in our classrooms and working with young people and what we've experienced in our own life. And I haven't been shy about talking about what I went through last year during the pandemic and, um, on this show and, 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 to my friends and stuff where I'd say in last spring and summer really struggled, um, didn't really know what was the matter, never really felt that way before. Um, and as somebody who's promoted mental health for a number of years and, you know, runs the mental warrior club and we have mental health Wednesdays in our basketball program, um, uh, it was really hard when I was in the spot where like I needed to do something and seek help myself, I'm always used to trying to guide and be aware of my student and player's mental health. But now it was time for me. And so I ended up seeing just my family doctor and, um, went through, you know, some of those tests they do and, um, kind of gave me a score on my anxiety and kind of offered me a couple of treatment options to talk to somebody or to, um, start some medication and, and did some medication and didn't, didn't really feel a, a ton different kind of maybe navigated my way through it. Um, and, and have been doing a lot better, um, since probably last fall, but, um, definitely some, some real struggles when you're feeling anxious, when you're having that worry, um, in this country, you know, over 40 million people suffer from anxiety and they estimate that, you know, less than 5% are, actually seeking medical attention or, or seeking help. And so it's becoming more and more common. Um, and for the age range of like 17 to 25, the number one reason that age group is checking into a health, uh, you know, the doctor health services on a college campus is anxiety. And I'm going to give two definitions, um, of anxiety and then Dan, I'll let you kind of talk about your experience with it. But actually, I'll just start with this one because I think it's the best one I've heard. Um, anxiety is the overestimation of danger, but it's and it's the underestimation of the ability to cope with it. So the overestimation of something that is considered danger, and the underestimation of the ability for you. To cope with that danger, and then how we deal with it is many different ways. Everyone's unique, um, but I think the number one thing is is to really be aware of it when you're feeling that danger and trying to decipher, you know, whatever it is, is it really a threat? And so we'll kind of use that definition as we go throughout the show. Um, but I've noticed in my classroom and working with players and students just how big of a deal this is and unfortunately some events have happened you know kind of around my circle of friends um, where I've seen you know uh, a couple suicides in the last week that have really kind of struck a nerve with um, everybody that I that I know in that circle and um, the question of why happens and I think this topic sometimes gets a little bit avoided because it's hard to talk about And so we're going to do our best today to kind of dive into it. And then we're going to do, I don't know how long this will go, three, four, five part series on anxiety. And uh, we're going to get some guests to come in here that are, that are experts and and talk about it and uh, hope to provide some insights that'll help our listeners. Yeah, that's a good, that definition
0: is pretty, uh, I don't know, it's, it kind of sparks a whole flood of emotions and thoughts as you say you know the overestimation of danger um, that one just rings the bell in my head uh, I was just telling my class this week how as they told me basically I'm uh, I'm a pretty paranoid person they thought um, and then I, I I kind of shared with them that there have been lots of times in my life that I base uh, you know my decision on something whether or not my chance of death is going to increase if I do it. I guess <laughs> <laughs> um, like that's, a, that's a general, that's a thought that's gone through my head. Like, should I do this? I think if I do it, my chances of dying are going to go up pretty significantly. I can,
1: I can relate to that.
0: Um, but like as a kid, I don't think, like it's such a strange journey, this, uh, you know, journey with anxiety. Because as a kid, you know, you just do so many questionable <laughs> things or make questionable choices that, Clearly, you're not overestimating the danger. Like I remember doing, I was riding my bike one time. There's a move called a camel kick. You know what that is? So you. Nope. Nope. Okay. Not in the bike culture. Um, (laughs) Back when I was a kid, like BMX was huge. And if you stuck your foot in that front gap between the tire and, I don't know, whatever holds the tire, Mm -hmm. it would stop the front tire immediately your back would kick up and then you'd like, you could spin it around or just drop it. Um, I was not a BMXer. If you take a look at me, you could probably guess that. But uh, I was Sh- going... Shocking
1: w- revelation here.
0: Way too fast, stuck my foot in it. Did not overestimate the danger at all. And just, you know, ended up planting onto some nice gravel, ro- Like not a gravel, like a... a What, tarred surface with a bunch of rocks on it? Um, Or think of another great example. Remember I thought a good experiment was to try to turn a treadmill on, full blast, (laughs) and see if I could... I just jumped on it. I did. I fell. But luckily my hands broke my fall. However, the tread... Kept on spinning and <laughs> ripped the skin off of the palm of my hands. Oh, lovely! Um, and I was just like, "Oh!" <laughs> this is at my friend's house. The dad's like, "I think, uh, I think you need to go home now, Dan." <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's funny because as you get older, I don't know what happens. Maybe you know, or maybe you can speak to this. because I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But then you become maybe just more cautious of all the things you do and you become more fearful of the possibility of those things ending horribly. Um, and you kind of lose that ability to like find the balance between underestimating danger and overestimating danger. Um, whereas now, you know, you're, you sometimes I'm just paralyzed to do something or like, there's some great memes out there about how how euphoric it is to like make plans and then cancel them because i feel like that's that's anxiety related right like you're For afraid sure. of the situations that might arise out of this gathering or this thing you just agreed to and then when you're like oh sorry i can't make it can't go you're just like oh yeah <laughs> that feels so good yeah and that's because you're avoiding the situation um and I definitely can relate to that. I'm sure our listeners out there can as well, because I feel like that's a pretty universal, or at least right now, based on your statistics that you brought up, that seems like a universal feeling. Um, but man, this pandemic is another, it's a great example of how, you know, anxiety has overtaken so many people um, because, you know, going out into public spaces is, all about a calculation for a lot of people of danger now. Um, and it's, it's paralyzing sometimes to try and make those decisions, whether you should go to this or go to that, or because, you know, to make it COVID and because if you get it, then somebody else gets it. And then this whole domino effect plays out in your head and you just avoid it altogether. And that creates a whole another list of problems as you just kind of go into the avoidance mode. And you stay, you know, on your couch binge watching episode after episode after (laughs) episode
1: of, you know, The Office or whatever. Yeah, I think that that word paralyze is a great word. Um, Talking about anxiety that some people go through where they just feel they can't. They just feel they can't whatever. It might be face the danger. And for me, it really hits home with the biological origins of this in the brain. Um, hard to explain and hard to, you know, I've been trying to get this point across to my students about like, you know, there was a world once upon a time that didn't have running water and a, and a toilet to flush and a nice insulated house and grocery store and a gas station to get snacks. There was a different world where you literally had to just survive and um, shelter and food and All of that was um, not a luxury. It was um, something you had to fight for every day. And that lifestyle, by the way, was longer,
0: like lasted longer by a long shot than this current oh yeah incarnation of life. We're just a little sliver, isn't it crazy?
1: It's yeah. It that stuff really is insane to think about. But so our our brain was wired to um, you know send those fight or flight signals based on danger, real danger. the danger of death, the danger of starvation, the danger of not enough water or shelter. We don't have those dangers anymore so much. And so the danger now turns into something that triggers us, um, that could be a friend didn't text us back or I said something I shouldn't have to my wife or I, um, forgot about an assignment I had to do in school or was supposed to be somewhere, whatever. So now our brain, the same physiological response happens and we see it as danger, but the danger isn't life or death. The danger is just simply, oh, an uncomfortable conversation or like dealing with talking to somebody because you made a mistake or whatever. And so the other part of that definition is our underestimation of our ability to cope. So then we'll look at a danger and we'll be like, oh gosh, that's super scary. And we'll get fearful or paralyzed or feel helpless. But then we also don't remember or believe that we can deal with it like and which is the reason why the more you fail the more you've dealt with hard things the easier it is because you've been through it but when you haven't been through anything to cope then it it can seem really really scary and so i think if you kind of try to frame those two things it really starts us to allow to kind of have a a guide as we talk about anxiety so do you think that's what the problem is is
0: there's a lack of examples people can draw upon to get them through those moments of anxiety. So they're not so long, like they're more brief, like a good example. I feel like there have, I have gone through many situations and survived them even even though they were just, you know, awkward conversations that (laughs) were exactly that they were super awkward but you survive them. Like I'm thinking of a really simple example. A couple days ago, I I forgot to wear my fitness tracking device on my wrist. Got to school, looked at my wrist, and I thought, "Oh crap! No, my my circles aren't going to close today." And now it's just going to be this, you know, this this situation plays out in my head that like this is terrible for you. You're in danger. But I've gone through enough of those situations where. It still took me some time, but like maybe an hour later, I was like, who cares? You're an idiot. Why would, like, that's not going to end your life. Like, you'll be fine. Um, But I don't think, I don't think I would have had, like, that that feeling would have lasted way longer had I not been in so many situations before that were exactly that. Like, I see, it seemed
1: life-threatening, but... It really wasn't. So maybe that, just to give the listeners, whether you're a parent or a kid out there, has it ever happened where the kid forgot their phone and they called mom or dad, bring my phone, mm. and mom or dad, be honest, have you brought it? Um, I, I have had students like that. And yep. they, the, their parents have brought they can't, their phone. Because they can't function
0: throughout the day without it. And I think as a parent, I've probably also like been in the car and Mateo has been like, I, I forgot this thing. And I was like, I'll go get it quick.
1: Yep. Instead of being like, you'll be all right. Yep. And then have him going, like, but I won't. And then. And that's the hard moving. part as a parent that, you know, there's no playbook on. But if we can get our kids to go through not having their favorite whatever, and it's still going to be okay. I'm not in danger. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to. I can move on. And that paralysis is a real, real thing that people feel that they can't physically go on. And, and you know, I don't really want to get into depression today. There's a lot of blurred lines there between anxiety and depression and what's going on. But, um, yeah, I think it's 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 experiencing that. And then it's also, I think, one of the treatments is to be able to be aware and then practice. You know, you can practice getting over some of these anxiety-ridden uh, things that you have, um, whether it's something as you know simple as a conversation or somebody that something happened with, so when you pass them or see them in the hallway, you walk the other way because you can't handle walking by them, or um, whether it's you know, a certain event that you won't go to because um, of whoever is going to be there or what might be brought up or how embarrassed you are, and, you know, there's things where you're embarrassed by either how you look, or how you feel, or I can't go on, or as a kid, like, mom, please don't make me go to school because I got a zit on my face, or I got this, or that, but then you understand that danger of somebody, I I can get through it, I can be okay, and uh, I think that self-talk and that awareness is, is, is step number one.
0: Yeah, I was just telling you about this before we came on air here, but I think it's important to have like battling perspectives in your brain. And this is maybe – this probably – there's got to be a psychological principle that this follows. I'm pretty sure – I think I've heard – it's called – like inner familial systems or something like that. We've talked about it somewhat on the podcast. I think with Eric Godsey, he brought it up. But all the different characters that are in your head and the different points of view they bring in, um, I, I think it's important that on these issues of anxiety, you definitely have, you know, a voice that's pushing back against the voice that wants to cancel the plans or get the phone. Or get the watch or you know whatever it is they want to to get in order to soothe that feeling um, because it's important to remember that that feeling's never going to like cease to exist right even though you're aware of it it doesn't mean you're not going to feel anxious um, but if you're aware of it and you have you know maybe a competing voice in your head that says hey, yeah, you're anxious right now, but let's embrace this and let's try to actually turn it into excitement, right? I was reading, in prep for this podcast, I was reading an article about how the same chemicals involved in excitement are the exact same chemicals involved with anxiety. So what you can do is you can attempt to reframe your anxiety and embrace it as excitement. And even though it might be scary, what you're going to do, um, the lead up to it isn't as dreadful. Um, because that feeling, like I said, isn't going to go away. The anxious feeling is going to be there that, that buildup of uneasiness. Um, you know, the, the, the heart racing, the sweaty palms, the sweaty pits in my case, um, it's <laughs> always going to be there. But if you say like, yeah, this is going to be exciting, <laughs> let's do this. Yep. Um, it can help you at least make that build up a little less miserable. But like I'm, as I'm saying this, I mean, there's, I'm thinking of a example when I, I, I hosted a, I think I talked about this before, but I hosted a thing called MSU idol when I went to college and it was the yeah. first thing I ever hosted. And I had this dream of being a stand up comedian, of course, <laughs> which I've talked about and it went horribly wrong. Yeah. Like, but, and it was a miserable experience. Um, but of course, I that like that's an example of me surviving it and being like, oh, well, it sucked for you know, thirty minutes, but yep. I'm not dead, um, and that's the voice that I had to build up. So there was a competing narrative in my head, and then also trying to change
1: that idea of, you know, dread to excitement. Two things: number one, a friend in high school, sweatiest pits I've ever seen. <laughs> every white shirt yeah i'm that guy bleached yellow just dude come on we need to get him some more white shirts quick
0: tip if you do have that problem which i did have uh which i've actually come under it's come under control at this point in my life which is good except for actually when i'm podcasting it comes up (laughs) um but if you use baking soda and like you make a baking soda paste with water Mm -hmm. and you kind of rub it into those pits before you Sounds like so smooth you let good. well you let it sit for like an hour or two hours and then you wash it yellow pit stains are gone wow. baby it's amazing it's, it's like magic. it's, it's oxy basically like before they learned how to brand it and put it into a box so yeah any, I,
1: I just throw it away but anyway um and then number two would be like people have tried to overcome the anxiety by like okay um, I give the example in my class a lot of times, like if your food screwed up, are you, do you, can you even like, And it's a little bit of a fear thing too. And being scared, can you tell the waiter, um, I ordered with no onions. A lot of people cannot do that. Yeah. Um, I've polled high school kids. I've served surveyed high school kids. Um, let's say you check out at the grocery store and they charged you for something that you didn't buy. They'll just pay it and they don't have the ability to go and talk to the manager and say, listen, I didn't, I didn't pay for this. Um, those are skills where you can kind of force yourself in an opportunity where you're not going to die. You're, you're, it's not dangerous and you can try and see if you can overcome something like that. It's and like, that's yeah. really, really important.
0: Exposure, it's like exposure therapy. It is. You know, there was, and this happened this weekend. We were We stayed in a hotel for the first time since this pandemic, just to get away, go to a pool. Nice. And it was a limit to four people on the elevator. So me and my family are four people. And this woman wanted to get on the elevator. (gasps) And She goes, do you mind if I squeeze in? And I, I, like, I hesitated. And then I finally said, actually, yeah, I do. I'm sorry. The limit's four. I'm sorry. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And I closed the door on her. See you. And my wife was like, Wow. I'm surprised you actually said something there. That's amazing. Yeah, I was like, thank you. And that's an example of like, I just built up, like I just built up an extra level of, or I just completed the next level of, you know, what? Overcoming the anxiety that come, that appears when you have to try and, you know, tell the person that you don't want onions or they can't come in or, you know, it's, it's, I know what you mean. And it's not easy to overcome Um, and I don't know how I even overcame it. It was just like, there was a point, like a breaking point in my brain that I finally gave up or got enough courage
1: to say something. Yeah. And I've talked about this with like one of my good friends about like, I would not consider him a a people person. Okay. Just put it that way. I, I think in an ideal world, he would be like chopping wood in the forest, you know, and like see like, you know, I get that one person a day. Um, (laughs) sounds wonderful, but in his job, that's not an option managing a ton of people. And this goes to whatever, longer point, but, um, you can do what you need to do if you are willing, you know, understanding and wanting to do it. And you can change like a little bit of your personality and a little bit of your style and a little bit of, um, when you need to and it comes from awareness and it comes from um, studying and realizing your shortfalls and like how to get through things. And that's part of growth as a person. Um, I don't think, you know, I was talking to some kids this week and like, there's times where it's like, Hey, I got my three, four friends and I, I can't really, I struggle to talk to anyone outside of that group. I can relate to that. That's pretty much how I was in high school. I wasn't like just talking to every single student and being like, Super um social with everybody. Um, and it's something that I had to literally focus on and be like, okay, here's an opportunity now. There's somebody I don't know. Can I strike up a conversation? Can I work on some of that? Right. Because we don't just naturally have that built into us. Some people are obviously better at the gift of gab than others, but there's still sometimes a fear of what someone's gonna think, or should I approach that person, or whatever. Um, I'll give a, a quick example, like. I used to be intimidated. I think a lot of us would be of like famous people. We would be like, oh, a little bit like, oh, should I even talk to him? Like, can you even talk to somebody that's quote unquote famous? Um, I used to go to, well, pre-pandemic, like some type of coaching development every summer. And I remember being at a thing in Vegas in which there was um, a lot of MBA coaches there and there was NBA players. And I was in this unique little development thing. We were listening to a speaker and then they were training some NBA players and the coaches were there and then they were gonna scrimmage when they're done. And I just had this fear of like, oh, I don't wanna waste their time and I don't wanna like be that super fan or whatever. And I decided to just go up to this player and ask him some questions. And um, was super, super nice. Like uh, we had spent 20 25 minutes of his time talking about some technical things and um, it just got me over the fact that like, they're just people, you know, they're just people. And if you come to them with a genuine, you know, whatever, and just like anyone else would want to be treated, but there was this fear and there was this danger of like, they're going to tell me to go fly a kite. So that was why I didn't in all my previous, you know, summers that I was doing that stuff. And, uh, that was a great example because now instead of being afraid, I just walk up to people and I just ask the question. And if it goes further, great. If they don't want to talk, that's fine too. And you just move on.
0: But were you in that first example where you actually broke the ice, were you fearful throughout the conversation with him? The
1: first three, four minutes was like, uh, you know, like. I could feel my blood pressure rise. I could feel my heart beating faster. I could feel my, ha- my palms be sweaty. And there was a little bit of me like, oh, should I just run? You know, like, <laughs> um, but then he made it super great, you know, with how he handled it and asked me about me, you know, like, where are you from? What's your deal? And I, well, what's funny about the conversation is that this NBA player making millions of dollars was basically trying to see if I knew anything that would help him. And it it, it it blew me away because it's like, I'm just a little old high school guy from Minnesota. And you, but this is why you are the best. Because if you can get one drop of knowledge, even from me, that's going to help you, you want it. And, and so that, that taught me a lot that day. It's funny
0: because like most of your examples are like, yeah, it went all right. And I learned that it was fine. My examples are like, it went horribly <laughs> wrong. And I realized I didn't die, (laughs) you know, like that you saying that reminded me of how I have those too. Like I was, uh, I was a journal. I was a journalist for KMSU radio station in college. And they put me on the the assignment to go interview Al Franken as he was running for Senate in 2008. I think it was. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, I'm a huge SNL fan. Like this guy is one of the, you know, important writers in SNL history. Like he's got a lot of comedy credit to him. So I jumped on it, and then I realized, like, once I went to go interview him, it was just a train wreck. I tried to I tried to make a joke. The joke didn't even make any sense. Um, I got my audio clip, and he was just like, what the hell is this guy on? Um, and I got out of there as, as fast as possible. Like, I did run. Yeah. But, like, I feel like I have so many stories of that where it didn't, it didn't actually work out, but that also survived. that also helped me realize that it was fine. So you can you can have both. Like you can have experiences that do go well, and you're like, "Oh, I will continue to do this." But it's also just as beneficial to get into a train wreck situation and realize, "Oh, I it doesn't matter. Yep. He doesn't remember me. Maybe, um, and like I'll be fine. I'm fine." I'm here today and, and something
1: we can both relate to, but you want to talk about the most anxiety inducing, um, you know, time of probably both of our lives is, is having a child. And, you know, I just, we all remember the story of driving that child home and like going 20 miles an hour and telling everyone to like, slow down. What are you doing? Why are you driving so fast? I have a child back here. And then getting home and being like, wait a minute. Like, they're just, they let us bring this kid home. What do I do? In my case, two kids. Like, what, what? There's nobody here. Like, how can they trust us? What are we <laughs> supposed to do? And um, you, you're, you have, all you do is worry, and all you do is not know, and all you do is think danger. Should, can we do that? Can, what? Is that okay? Like, what happens now? Like, <laughs> you know, the um, most anxiety. You could ever feel, and as you raise children uh, that's never going to stop that's going to be a part of it, but you obviously have to learn how to deal with it um, better because if we're the ones setting an example and overreacting they're they're gonna catch on to that so um but I think the key to to some of this though is that even though
0: you know we're sharing stories of times that we've actually like broken through anxiety, a lot of times people get stuck in a cycle of Having a situation like that, you know, talking to the player or talking to Al Franken, instead of actually initiating the conversation, they avoid go do the activity that just kind of allows them to escape that responsibility, um, and then it goes away, and they repeat that process over and over again, and all it takes is you know one chance or one time to break that cycle, and then you're you're on your road to. Not freedom from anxiety,
1: but the ability to... You've taken one little step.
0: Yeah, to harness it.
1: And if I go back to some of the days and how I really felt last year, there, there was, with with having the time um, and time alone can be very dangerous when you're going through anxiety and you're feeling paralyzed and those were some of like the hardest times when I just didn't feel right and felt no drive really to do anything and just didn't know what to do. And it can, you can basically be in a, in a rut. And I was in a, in a anxiety drought for, for quite a while. And, um, it wasn't one quick thing to get me out of it. It it took a lot of time and it took, um, for me, a lot of it was, I think, having a purpose and um, when everything was just stopped. I mean, there was obviously some amazing things with my family and having more quality time and that were blessings, but um, really didn't know how to process it all. And so I, I think it's also important to understand that it, it may not just, it's not just going to be a switch and you're going to have some better weeks than others and you're going to have some droughts. And then you also like have to know when it's time to go get help and to seek, um, somebody to talk to because, um, there's only so long you can feel a certain way, you know, um, and you need to make sure that you, you understand that. And that's why I always tell my students, like, be, be aware, not of yourself only, but like of your classmates and of your community, because sometimes, um, you know, we're all kind of stubborn and, and afraid to ask for help a lot of times, and so sometimes we gotta we gotta keep a pulse on on our tribe and make sure that hey, it's okay, and if you need to talk to somebody, go talk to someone.
0: Yeah, and it's it all comes down to being able to, you know, if you are in that stuck in that cycle, to reach out to somebody or have someone to reach out to, because a lot of people, I mean, I'm thinking of my life. um... It wasn't until college that, like, I had a, like, a drunken conversation with a couple friends at three in the morning where I finally did, you know, share. Unload some stuff. Yeah, what was on my mind. And, man, that was, (laughs) that was 20-some years in the making. Um, And I I think that's maybe where a lot of our, our students are at or where a lot of you are at is maybe not having somebody to actually share those thoughts with.
1: Yeah that brings up a a really powerful thing is that um, what are you paying attention to? And sometimes we get so lost into our own thoughts and world. We have no clue what's happening around us. For me, with kids coming into my room every day, my antennas are always up and it's pretty obvious and I'm, I'm pretty lucky in some of the classes I get to teach with kids that I have built relationships over two, three, four years or sometimes longer that I can read on their, their face how they're doing. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've just simply caught a kid and said, how are you doing or are you okay? And whether it's tears right away or whether it's it's just this like, you can almost see this burden being left off their shoulders because somebody asked and I need to unload it, you know, or maybe they don't want to unload it to you, but maybe then you can point them in a direction, but we all put on a great face. We all put on, everything's fine. You know, you don't ever ask somebody how they're doing and and they, they, you know, in just a passing and they really dive into everything. And obviously you're not just going to share with anybody. Um, So it's creating those relationships, but if you are, that's why what I'm talking about within your tribe, like, how are you? Like, really? Like, really? How are you? And sometimes you got to dig a little bit. Um, but I found that to be, to be really important. And we, if you put yourself in the shoes, have you ever unloaded or to those two people, um, how much better you feel, you know, how, how big of a weight off your shoulders it is to tell somebody or to let it out um, or to just process and, and try to at least start to deal with it. Um, and everyone handles that differently. But I think that's really crucial is to have somebody to listen to you.
0: Yeah, I think after... I finally had my unloading session in college, you know, I did realize what you just talked about, you know, how important it is to have someone to uh, be able to confide in and really, you know, share how you are feeling or what you are anxious about, uh, what you are worried about. And for some people, I mean, that's your, your partner. Um, For other people, maybe if you don't have a partner or girlfriend or, or whatever, you, you have a tribe of people that, you can hopefully cultivate that would be comfortable to share those things. And I think that's a definite goal that a lot of young people should have when it comes to this this issue is if, you, if you're not going to go see a, you know, healthcare professional, because it's not like everyone can pay for those things, um, it's just as impactful or helpful to have, you know, friends to have, you know, sit down and talk about,
1: what you are worried about in the world. Um, In the last week, I, again, I've talked about ideas I've had that that take a while to to get implemented. And, you know, one was the Mental Warrior Club I started a couple years ago to talk about the power of your mindset. This year has been starting a class on mindset. And then there's so many things within coaching and within the culture of transformational coaching that, I've been making kind of my life's work that I, I, I sometimes think, oh, that would never work in the classroom. And I'd say in the last, I, I think there's just things that I've slowly started to carry over. And one of those is one-on-ones. And in basketball, we, t- we do one-on-ones with players before, middle, end, summer, multiple times throughout the year. And those are check-ins. Those are um, opportunities to have deeper conversations, not just about basketball, but about life. And within this class right now, we're doing one-on-ones where I'm taking students, pulling them aside for about 15 minutes and having conversations. They fill out a little Google form beforehand. And um, it's, it's, been, it's been just remarkable. Um, I talked about in an early episode, like some of the projects this class has shared, where they've talked about their heroes, their highlights of their life and their hardships. And amazing, amazing stories they're willing to share. And in these one-on-ones, it's given me an opportunity to, to dig a little bit deeper and, and just to connect. And all I would say is that, like, they call it the silent, you know, the silent killer, the silent, um, you know, disease, mental illness, mental health, anxiety, depression. These aren't things that we have any way to see physically. They're all invisible. Um, There's signs that we can kind of point to, but it, everyone puts on a face and a, uh, you know, a good, you know, tries to just give it their best shot every day. But when you really dig a little bit, you find out there's some things that everybody doesn't feel confident or comfortable with. And I think our job as parents, as educators, um, as, as a community members is to Just tell these kids that, like, you are enough just who you are. You don't need to be this grade or get into this college or, you know, be this, whatever image of beauty you think you have to be that society tells you. Um, And I think that message of, like, you are enough who you are, and I've alluded to this before, is really what the society that we want to live in. I mean, if you talk about, what is most important in, you know, as a culture, it's, it's the raising and rearing of young people and the next generation being better than this one. And there's an epidemic of anxiety. There's an epidemic of depression and suicide rates due to a variety of factors that we don't fully understand. And we know social media is a huge, huge impact, but we don't really fully know what we're going into here. Um, and so it's going to take a lot of people deciding that, you know, stop just saying it's everything's okay because it's not. And, and embrace the opportunity to just stop and talk to somebody and ask them how they're doing. This year has been a hell of a year. It's been trying on everybody. And as we get to the end, I think it's important to celebrate that we're just even here standing and to stop um, asking so much. It's always what's next, what's more, what's more. How about we stop and just say, wow, look at everyone that's been involved in making this happen and getting us to this point. With that, I think it's time now over the next few weeks to turn this and to try to dive into some questions, and try to get some answers from professionals. Um, I think our listeners would would be very helpful and impactful, and I think I'll reach out to our students and and those of you that listen to the podcast. If there are things within the, the framework of anxiety and um, depression that you want to dive into here in the next few weeks in these episodes, please send us a message, a thought, and you can do that over at the Instagram. Yeah, you can
0: uh, send us a DM at eternal.student.podcast. You could send us an email at the Show at gmail.com. If you have one of our numbers, you can text us. Uh, but I ain't giving that out on this thing. So um, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more of
1: our, what, special report on anxiety. We appreciate you. Just remember, you matter, we care about you, and sometimes it can seem really, really dangerous, but don't underestimate the fight, the courage, and what you got with, with, with inside you, because it's a lot more than you might think. Until next time, peace out.